words on water. This episode is brought to you by EnviroSuite. EnviroSuite is a global leader in environmental intelligence and is a trusted partner to the world's leading industry operators, including in water and wastewater. EnviroSuite's proprietary software combines leading-edge science and innovative technology with industry expertise to produce predictable and actionable insights, allowing customers to optimize their operations while remaining compliant and managing their environmental impact. By harnessing the power of environmental intelligence, EnviroSuite helps industries grow sustainably and communities to thrive. Learn more at EnviroSuite.com. Hi, welcome to Words on Water, a podcast from the Water Environment Federation. This is the host, Travis Loop. Excited for this episode to have a conversation about environmental intelligence. Uh, that's a phrase that even to me, working in water for quite some time is a little bit new. Sounds exciting. Joined for this conversation by Andres Quijano. He is Solution Design Engineer for North America for EnviroSuite. Andres, thanks for coming on the podcast. Thank you for having me, Travis. Appreciate it. So, environmental intelligence. What does this phrase mean? The environmental intelligence is, is a very funny uh, phrase, or buzz phrase, really, that has been emerging over the last uh, few years, I'll say. But really what it refers to is this um, epic moment that we're kind of facing right now, where technology is evolving. We have had sensor technology evolving to a point that we have very large sensors or very laboratory tedious type of processes that existed before and all of a sudden now sensor technology evolved to do continuous monitoring so that enabled a number of activities and we've been seeing that over the years as in sensors get integrated into SCADA systems and, and all these things and, and the SCADA systems were all about maintaining controls and controllings and alerts and alarms and operational data but then technology in the communication space evolved Travis to a point that we are seeing very fast uh, and easy ways and lower cost ways of communicating sensor data into the cloud. And then and then this thing called the internet came in, then everything starts to go aggregated in there. And then it became the internet of things and the internet of environmental things. So, so we had sensor technology, we have communications capabilities. And to add to that, we have the cloud computing power that exists today with your Amazon Web Services and Google Cloud Computing and all the computing companies that allow you not to very quickly um, increase uh, processing power in computers to run models that before would have taken hours or require very large machines and computers and supercomputers and all these things. And then bring all this together. And what does that mean to different industries, specifically in the water industry? It means that we are now having this concept of environmental intelligence that brings this information to enable operations make decisions that before would have actually taken longer time to do. So reacting in real time and being prepared for what's going to happen um, in almost the near future and the immediate future by looking at what's been happening over the last period of time is what's enabling this. So, so environmental intelligence really, it's a phrase that refers to the utilization of technology 
to be able to perform decisions that normally would have taken longer periods of time or in 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 seconds in minutes so that's kind of what what we really come about and and add to that when i was talking about the modeling the ability to create deterministic models that are looking at how have we been operating for the last um let's call it the last 24 hours 48 hours what does that mean for the next 24 hours the next 48 hours and if we continue operating this way what's going to happen and having real-time models that in the past would have been something you had to take away run a bunch of models configurations and things and require people computing resources to be able to do it in real time Travis. So, so environmental intelligence in 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 hindsight really is looking at what we have been doing and making it in a way that operations can make those decisions very quickly so enabling environmental specialists and environmental groups to to really focus on fine-tuning the system rather than kind of running these models just to figure out how they're supposed to be running. So that's what we've been doing for the last couple of years, and it's, it's been very, uh, very environmental intelligence. It's, a, it's been a word that is kind of sticking out there from that point of view, but, but I think it's, it's just utilization of technologies that are emerging into a point that are going to enable us to do better decision-making in operations. Mm. I think you've you've hit on what some of the drivers are because I'm curious about what's driving this this env- uh, environmental intelligence. Obviously, the availability of technology, the advancement of technology, right? You talked about the internet and and remote sensors and just the technology being there. But could you dive into a little bit more, like what's driving uh, companies and water utilities and the sector to to use this approach? Like why yeah. why it's so valuable? Yeah, I was yeah I was listening to to another podcast by um by a um, um, professor from a UWM School of Freelance. I think as we do as well, uh, Rebecca Klepper as well. And 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 one of the things that she was saying is this concept of climate change, and she talked about the concept of climate change and and the variability that we're seeing now is not is not really uh, how much infrastructure is needing to now. Uh, be adapted very quickly to support this variability. So, so when we look about the drivers and what's driving this change, I think very big part of it is obviously the aspect of climate change. What's happening with the environment? The the way and the more um, really variable weather conditions we're getting. Uh, I mean, I'm I'm in California right now, and I've been here I'll say for about five years now. And I can tell you, I have never seen so much rain in California. <laughs> so, I was in Southern California before. I was with a colleague from Southern California. I was saying, like, Andres, it's just been raining nonstop over Christmas and over this period of time. So um, those are activities. And we saw it with uh, seven tons of uh, sewage being spilled in the bay in, in, in Los Angeles area over the Christmas period. They had to close the beaches and a bunch of things had to happen. And, and, and this is things that... In reality, with the technology we have today, we need to learn from these from these events to understand why did it happen, and how we avoid it in the future. So, so I think the variability in climate and the the adaptability of the infrastructure to support this variability to mitigate risk of this type of events is is probably one of the key drivers that is putting us in there because. As you correctly say, the, the data has been there. Mm. We have had the data for quite some time, but but I think this variability is important. And, and that's, that's on the environmental side of things. 
On the other side, I think another aspect that becomes also very important is being the this growth of communities that we're seeing uh, at a pace that has been very different to before. And, and we're talking about mega cities, and we did a we did a study with Frost and Sullivan, and there's a Frost and Sullivan report that came out of it. The research we did, and the research what we found was that megacities are expanding at a faster pace than before. And one of the reasons they are expanding and growing is more because we're facing this whole remote working and working remote. And people that used to live in the city hubs and city centers are now finding that, hey, I can afford a much larger house, a 2,000 square foot house. I can live with my family, with the place that I wanted, where I wanted, and I can still have my Bay Area job. I can still have my inner city job, but I can do it from there. Maybe I commute once or twice a week, but then I don't have to be there all the time. So we're seeing a very interesting growth of cities where infrastructure is now needing to adapt to that as well. So so I, I actually foresee that that's kind of what's going to be driving it into the future, the, the whole idea of environmental intelligence. It's not just this concept of climate change, but also understanding how is the infrastructure now going to cope with a high dense population in a small areas to a smaller dense population, but a more of an expanded group. And um, and, I, and I think that's 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 what some of the things that fascinates me because it really looks me makes me look into how can we get technology to help us be better prepared for the future. Like at the end of the day, that's really what it comes down to. And um, and I've always been a big, big advocate of if we can empower our operations group to make decisions quickly, we can avoid a number of different, uh, we can mitigate a number of risks that could actually occur in terms of environmental impact events, in terms of being prepared for responding to uh, variability on demand of infrastructure as needed. So I, I think those are the key two key factors, the, the, the changes in demographics and the density of populations and the variability of the climate that we're seeing recently, Travis. Yeah, those are definitely two of the biggest influences on the water sector right now. Um, Diving deeper into how the water sector can use environmental intelligence, you know, you mentioned an uh, analysis of the past 24 to 48 hours and then being able to kind of use that to to forecast or look at what's coming up in the next 24 to 48. But I'd love to hear a little bit more about, you know, the actual implementation or examples of how water utilities and, and, and other water resource entities, managers can can use this approach, use this technology. Yeah, um, it's one of the key things that um, that the, looking at that approach is, I, I like to think that there's very little things that have not been thought of, of invented in the past. Travis, there's just like there's like every, everybody there's there's, there's a lot of very smart people in the world that are always kind of thinking how do we optimize and 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 I certainly feel that there's a lot of people out there that are constantly working at this and working on water treatment plants and and technology companies that are emerging, all they're becoming is enablers to help us uh, drive this faster and better into the future. So how they specifically can do it, and, and I'm, I'm gonna, I am gonna wanna talk about specific case examples and things that we kind of done um, here in the US and also overseas. And some of the things that we have found is the SCADA systems that we have had for many, many years and where we have actually used for controls 
are systems that allows us to maintain and control operations at what we think is an optimal level. But let, just to put an example, if we if we had certain level of chloride that needed to be maintained, then that's kind of the level, and then the certain uh, chemical consumables that get used for that, or depends on the process how it actually gets done. Now, that might be the optimal for the typical type of operations you have. But when you have variability, like we've been talking about, that might not be the most optimal tomorrow. That might not be the most optimal in 48 hours from today. So that's actually now presenting an interesting opportunity to say, well, if I can actually see what's happening or what's about to happen with weather conditions, with rain, with the infrastructure demand that we've been talking about today, then what if I had a variable control setting that allows me to not just control at a set point, but allow me to control at the point that I need to be controlling and still maintaining my quality standards that I need to maintain and my effluent, but be able to actually um, variate the amount of um, chemical usage that goes into it, the amount of aeration that goes into it, so the amount of electricity that gets used. Uh, I mean, a big thing that is definitely becoming a much more interesting conversation is the ability to identify carbon footprint and minimize obviously energy energy consumption and more energy efficient processes so energy efficient could actually be or it is related to this so um, we've been able to uh, demonstrate 30 to 40 percent reductions of energy consumption by utilizing deterministic models basically that allow you to understand how have I been operating for the last 48 hours how am I going to operate from now moving forward and um, and we've been able to demonstrate reduction of consumption of chemicals by understanding how to variate the activity the, the amount of chemicals that get used into the treatment processes depends on whether you're in water or wastewater um, and, and aspect as well so the the reality is that we don't live in a world that is constant at all. Like we know, and, and we can control so many things. Like we, we in a process, and for process engineers, you would like to control absolutely everything of your process so you have a, how it works. But there's one thing that none of us can control, and that is the weather. That is like what's going to happen tomorrow. Is it going to be sunny? Is it going to be rain? Is it going to be increasing? So. Um, and how our processes react to those changes could also be different because it's not a linear relation. It's like, oh, we're going to get more rain, we're going to increase linearity this way. So the reality is that by putting sensors at your effluents or having the sensor data you probably already have at your effluent and understanding based on this influence, this is what the effluent is telling me, this is the ability that I have to control this process to generate this uh, water quality, uh, then let the deterministic models say, because we capture a lot of data by doing this. I mean, I'm oversimplifying it by presenting it here for, for the group, but sure. you're capturing things like um, the aeration process, what's actually happening there, how much chemicals are being used, temperatures, uh, all the process along the way, every single element in your clarifiers, in everything that is actually happening gets actually uh, entered into the system. But then, because as I was saying earlier to you, we have this computing power capability nowadays that we didn't have before. We can put this very quickly and within 48 hours and understanding weather forecast patterns, tell an operator hour by hour, what is the optimal settings for your plant over the next 24 hours? So that can actually be even automated and programmed into an SCADA system where the SCADA system is now variating how it's controlling based on what's been happening at the moment. And um, it's a very interesting, aspect because, I mean, 
there's a lot of cybersecurity that plays a role into this. It's not very easy to come and tell an operator, hey, we're gonna go and try to control your water treatment plant through a software that models. I mean, that's, that's not gonna happen overnight, that's for sure. But um, a lot of our studies were actually showing is we can run the model and say, you keep operating as is, this is what we will recommend. And what they've been able to see is that if you were operating as we recommended, this is what your uh, your savings will be on, on, on electricity. This is what your reduction of carbon footprint could actually mean to you. And, um, and ultimately, we've been talking a lot about from the a key driver that is also putting uh, forward is a lot of this has been seen in the past. Uh, all the environmental efforts for environmental impact side of things has been seen as a cost of, of the operation, as a cost of business. But um, for private or semi-private operations, one of the things that actually has been driving a lot of this is the concept of a environmental social governance investment. So a lot of investment firms are looking at ESG as a way to bring more money into it. So now there is a financial driver that is motivating people to um, understand it as well. So, so into the specifics, I, I think that that really is where it where it goes into. It goes into uh, understanding your process to the detail that what you can do as a process engineer to control your water process can now be variating based on what's been happening over the next last 24, 48 hours. And you will still be in control of the process. It's not like you're handing over the control to a computer model to say you're going to run it, because you can decide at all times what is the actual uh, desire, desire level that you're going to be working with. Yeah, I, I, that's fascinating. And it hit on uh, one of the other questions I had. Uh, and this environmental intelligence approach definitely has benefits for managing water, but it has big ben- uh, big benefits for business from a business perspective, right? Financial benefits. Could you kind of just, you've hit on that a number of different times, but could you elaborate a little bit more on, on the benefits on that side? Yeah, for sure. Look, uh, ultimately, if we look at a process, I think some of the major costs in in water treatment operations that we have seen has been your electricity cost and your chemical usage, uh, and that's your variable cost as well. So that's that's the cost is going to go up and down, and and we we're seeing um, specifically here in California, we're seeing a, an increase in the cost of electricity alone. So that's a cost that is going to continue to or at least for the time being, is, is, is trending like it's going to continue to go up. So as electricity costs go up, so for most businesses' point of view, from the business operation point of view, having a cons, um, the variable cost is what you're trying to minimize or avoid. Because if I know that I'm going to have to spend, I don't know, $100,000 a year, but that's all I'm going to need to spend. Then I can budget for it. I can run through that. That's how it's going to be. That's what's going to happen. And any operation, any business can then forecast what that means over the next 5, 10, 15, 20 years. And then you can define how you actually uh, manage that cost and budget it. When you have variable costs that you know what's going to be today, you don't know what's going to be tomorrow, you don't know what's going to be next year, like the electricity cost, um, chemical usage, and, and this type of uh, variable cost, you're going to have to try to implement strategies that allow you to um, mitigate the variability of the cost with how do you optimize it. So, And, and I touched on it earlier, I mean, 20 30% reduction in electricity cost, those, those are numbers we have actually seen with some of the studies. I put a big caveat onto that. 
is very determined from process to process and very different from one process to another, what kind of variations you have. Desalination plants are going to be different. That's another thing that is, is, is very interesting now. And, uh, and we were working with, with a couple of groups on that space as well. So, so that's the type of things that um, we will almost have to understand and do an analysis of say, okay, what will a deterministic model mean to your operations? But, but I think um, from the business point of view and the finance, financial aspect and financial benefit, I think if you start thinking of uh, the benefit of being able to have a dynamic process that allow you to optimize for your environmental conditions, uh, that's really where the benefit is going to come. And, and it's, it's what one of the things we do, and we, we do it quite regularly with a number of our, our people we work with, is uh, being able to write desktop studies. So where we can say, hey, let's look at the last 24, 48 hours, but also let's look at the last six months of your data. And if you were to be running a deterministic model, here's what we think could have been your savings. And a lot of that is kind of, as I said, desktop, just run the data through the machines and assume that through the computers, and assuming the data is available, uh, being able to get this information, it starts to get more confidence into maybe that's something we need to try. Maybe that's something we need to, and, and th there's a number of different groups already kind of trying and testing um, these theories. So it's, it's certainly something that I don't believe it to be necessarily new from the approach. What is being, once again, and repeating to the environmental intelligence aspect is the technologies are merging into this point where we can very easily implement things that before it would have cost and it would have taken a long, long time to be able to do. Sure, sure. La last question I have for you, aside from the business benefits, aside from the operational benefits, how is environmental intelligence part of um, you know, addressing broader sustainability concerns? There, you, know, you see this all the time with climate change, as you mentioned, and, and the health of our waterways and all that. There's a, there's a lot of attention and concern about our environment, about sustainability. How does environmental intelligence um, factor into into that yeah that this there's two parts to that question travis and i'd like to answer that by um investigating or looking into a couple of things one of those is let's talk about three one thing is sustainability another thing is sustainable operations mm. and uh, i want to kind of talk about those two because uh sustainable operations rely very heavily in three pillars and the three pillars of sustainable operations are staying in compliance very important. So you have to be monitoring to stay in compliance with whatever you license to operate may actually be, your license for your water requirements and all that activity. The other thing is you have to be able to um, be in a good place with your communities, with your neighbors. The communities have to see value to the infrastructure that you're providing. And, and I always, I enjoy working with infrastructure groups. Um, I love working with water treatment facilities, predominantly from the fact that I mean, we couldn't live without them. <laughs> they provide a massive and tremendous amount of value to the community. Uh, so for communities to understand that, and on the waste side, for communities to understand that um, there are certain elements and aspects, for example, of managing orders or wastewater treatment plants that need to be incorporated into this activity as well, which environmental intelligence now enables a collaborative approach with communities and bringing communities to the table strengthens that pillar of community um, relationships. So we talk about two pillars. The first one is staying in compliance. Second one is communities. And the third pillar of a sustainable operations, 
Well, you have to be sustainable from the financial standpoint as well. It has to be fun make financial sense. So to be able to do that, you need to be able to optimize. And optimize comes with what we've been talking about, being able to have models that allow you to optimize, being able to have real-time data that helps operational decision data. So these three pillars are the pillars of a sustainable operation, sustainable business. And, and no matter what kind of infrastructure business you look into, those are the three pillars of sustainability. So environmental intelligence very clearly enables all of them. Um, if you look at staying in compliance, real-time data is gonna tell you how, where you are with relation to your compliance sectors. You wanna make sure you stay in compliance. You wanna make sure that these things don't happen. The second one is um, community engagement. Hmm. It, transparency and communications is part of environmental intelligence. How are you gonna, and the other one is optimization. We've been touching a lot today on the utilization of models and this. So put that aside and now let's talk about sustainability. And sustainability from the point of view of um, the circular economy and all these other words that are kind of coming out there. And sustainability talks a lot more about um, carbon footprint and greenhouse gases and all these other um, activities that are occurring more at the broader groups, but those are problems that addressing them individually at each plant is going to be important. But I think that's where the industry has to come together and create certain standards as well around it. Because fixing it in one water treatment plant, it's not necessarily going to be the massive impact we need for the health of the planet and for the carbon footprint and, 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 and all the things that we're seeing in terms of um, global warming and, and, and all, all, the, all the climate change activities that we're seeing today. But from a sustainable point of view, it's extremely important that we understand or scope one, scope two type emissions. Like what is my direct emissions from the plant? Like what are the carbon footprint of the plant? But what is the carbon footprint when we talk about scope two emissions of um, your electricity provider that you're using? Are you using green energy providers? Are you using um, other kind of alternative energies that are enabling this uh, activity? So being able to bring all that into the table and we're seeing it, um, We've been seeing this actually in other sectors, and and I, and I think one of the key areas to uh, progress on moving forward, and, and I mentioned earlier the finance sector, because I like to look at what are other industries doing uh, that we could actually learn from and adapt. And one of the other sectors that I work heavily with is mining, for example. And when we talk about mining, they've been very invested into scope one, scope two emissions, and understanding carbon footprint and tracking everything to the most amount of detail so that we can very easily start to get to that extra level. Because one thing that we've seen, and we've seen this with airports, for example, is it's very easy to get the 80% reduction, which I think for the last years, everybody's been working on. Like we're changing um, uh, diesel vehicles for electric vehicles, electric buses, all these things have been happening. And, uh, and one of the things that we're starting to see is that is that is that last 20% that is gonna be very challenging to kind of really get to. So you get a very big reduction of carbon footprint, then you actually get this plateau effect of how, what does that mean for sustainability into the future and and the only way we're going to be able to break through that is let's look at the details and monitor as much as possible along the way so that we can actually be in a position saying look we are making progress but that five percent progress is, is, is kind of what's the what's the most important so so when it comes to the broader group and sustainability i think a sustainable operation is critical those are the three pillars that i like to focus on environmental intelligence supports that when it comes to um the broader group of of not sustainable operation but sustainability as such from the environmental point of view uh, i think we definitely need to look into 
how are we tracking our carbon footprint? How do we minimize that? And, and once again, if you can actually minimize cost of cost of electricity is an obvious one, I guess that comes into mind as well. But but start tracking your suppliers. Start tracking who you're actually doing business with. Is that a company that is is committed to this concept of a sustainability globally? And and I think that's where um, global industrial standards start to come into play. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, Andres, fascinating conversation, really informative conversation. Um, I am uh, appreciate you taking so much of your, your time to talk about environmental intelligence and look forward to sharing this with folks. But thank you so much. Thank you, Travis, and thank you, everybody, for listening. appreciate it. Words on water.